welcome to the Lido Lowdown, your one-stop shop for all things Orphan Black. On this week's Lowdown, it's our first episode. In addition to recapping the first episode, Natural Selection, we'll be introducing ourselves and talking about our format. So without further ado, let's get started. So I am your host and announcer, Amal. In my day-to-day life, I am currently a graduate screenwriting student at a local university, which I remain nameless for now. Yes, and my name is DT, and I'm also a graduate student at this university, and I'm studying uh, film production. All right, Amal, so why Orphan Black? Why Orphan Black? Literally, why not? Because everyone I knew was talking about it. And by everyone, I mean one person we both know. Uh, our, our classmate, he goes by the name uh, Le Noir. Le Noir Autour. Um, and, you know, I came to Orphan Black because it was a series of one woman playing a series of clones or different characters, and it had these very strong feminist themes that aren't addressed very well in other shows, and it's just so well done in this one. And, you know, I really like sci-fi and fantasy, and I really want to work in television one day in a show like Orphan Black. Ditto. So, I'm kind of, I'm loving being in the audience for this, in the clone club, but I would rather be on set, or in that writer's room. So if you're listening, please hire us. John Fawcett, Graham Manson, hello. Yes, those are their names, and we hope they're listening. <laughs> please listen to us, or Kasima Harder. She she sounds like the one that would be like investigating fan stuff. Yeah. Hello, please Hi. contact us. <laughs> so that's why we want to get into this podcast. And that's how we know each other. Ta-da! Ta-da! Who's not with us today is Ari, because she couldn't make it, but you'll hear her thoughts on this episode later. Uh, she's more of a casual viewer, whereas we're the professionals. <laughs> yeah. Still love her, though. Yeah, she's awesome. Why don't you start with the summary? Are we going to do the TV Guide version? Sure, let's do the TV Guide version. Or we could do what they said on the DVD, but that's pretty boring. What does it say on the DVD? Sarah Manning, a grifter, comes back and sees a woman commit suicide who looks exactly like her. She's intrigued. She's intrigued. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's perfect. Because then we could make fun of how... What a piss poor description that is and what actually happened. <laughs> I'm gonna actually check the box now. She's intrigued. <laughs> huh, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, you don't see that every day. <laughs> Gee, that's odd. Alright, so uh, smart, sexy, and pulsating with suspense, Orphan Black is the new action thriller featuring rising star Tatiana Maslany that the Hollywood Reporter calls so much more than pure entertainment. Sarah is an outsider and orphan whose life changes dramatically after witnessing the suicide of a woman who looks just like her. 
Sarah assumes her identity, her boyfriend, and her bank account, but quickly finds herself caught in the middle of a deadly conspiracy and must race to find answers about who she is and how many others there are just like her. Filled with surprising twists and turns, the addictive new series will keep you on the edge of your seat from start to finish. And then uh, the little tagline on the front of the box is, A clone is never alone. Which I kind of disagree with, putting that right on the box, because any casual viewer would be like, clones? Why the fuck do I care about clones? But hell. Or their loneliness. (laughs) Although the casual viewer would not be, like, tuned into, like, the feminist theory that's presented in the show, so I feel like they'd drop off somewhere anyway. Probably not. And the IMDB description of the first episode is Sarah Manning witnesses the death of a woman who looks exactly like her. She decides to escape her dramatic life and take the woman's identity for her own. But converting to a new life is harder than she expected. That's it? That's the end of it? That is all that they write. (laughs) Is there any tagline on it? No, just... Yeah, converting to a new life is hard. (laughs) Alright, so my first impression of this episode is that I hate Sarah Manning. She's this brutish character who wakes up on a train cursing and offending this woman. Yeah, she she doesn't do many favors. Like, there's three things that happen in the first scene. She, like BT said, wakes up, immediately startles this mother and her child, yells at someone on the phone in the train station, and then sees a woman die (laughs) by jumping in front of a train, and the first thing she does is take this woman's stuff. Roll credits. <laughs> like, she's not doing herself any favors. <laughs> right, and what I really love about this scene is that it's very straightforward. The The music is very delicate and it's sort of intriguing. And the cinematography is beautiful. The way that they switch between the struts of the, um, the train platform and the way they go back and forth between Beth and Sarah... And, um, you know, as Beth jumps in front of the train, you see the camera is attached to Sarah and it's sort of in her perspective and it's this really distorting, um, feature and it really throws you off and I think it's really interesting. And on the literary side of things, um, Beth, or, excuse me, Sarah runs into Huxley Station, which were the... Bibliophiles is probably a reference to Aldous Huxley's book, A Brave New World, which is cool. What is A Brave New World about, Amal? Uh, it is a science fiction novel that takes place in a dystopian future where people medicate or self-medicate with drugs. And yeah. So modern day America? Pretty much. <laughs> or wherever this takes place. What do you think the implications of this name from the very start gives Orphan Black? Well, if you are an unemployed English major like me, then it clues you into the fact that this is not just a show about some random drifter who steals from people. There will be sci-fi elements a little bit down the line, and you should keep watching. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a really nice setup. Um, it shows that 
a lot of what they're doing in the show is very intentional and that all the little details really matter. Um, like the next scene, right after she grabs her purse, she runs into a train station bathroom. I, I mean, I presume it's the train station bathroom and she's sifting through her purse and she finds keys, a wallet, and two phones. So immediately, it's like, why does she have two phones? And one has a bright pink case, so it really sticks out. And um, right behind her is a mirror. And I think it's interesting that Sarah turns and looks into the mirror and then runs off to find Felix, who is... Her best friend in the world. I love and, Felix. This yeah, is a wonderful intro. A lot of people's favorite character. Um, Sarah keeps not doing herself any favors by not <laughs> immediately, like... Mentioning that she saw someone die when she meets up with Felix. Like, they, she kind of just continues going about her life. She, she's just like, oh yeah, so I'm back in town, and I have this plan to meet up with Kira, who we don't know who that is at this point. And, oh yeah, by the way, I watched someone die. Like, it's the last thing <laughs> she mentions to him. And she does it really casually, so we're still not sure about, like, how good of a person she is. Right, and at this point, she's just very self-centered. Like, she doesn't care who Beth was, why she wanted to commit suicide. Uh, Felix mentions that there was an event that caused Sarah to leave her daughter, um, Kira, with their foster mom. Yes, we don't know. We don't know who Kira is yet. Yes. Not until the, you know, end of the episode, but... um. She's just very driven by what she needs and what she wants, which is not good, obviously. Yeah, a, little, a little selfish. Not that same. Tiny bit. And uh, Felix says this, uh, I, I believe it's in this scene, he says the line, um, it's a dream that every orphan has is to find their real family and who they are. And so he's, he pushes Sarah to... Um, Explore. Like, yeah, explore who this lady who looks just like her was. Yeah. Find out more. Yeah. And so she goes to uh, her apartment, which is this postmodern minimalist. <laughs> yeah, very, very modern day millennial uh, type type deal. Uh, sort of pretty much the upper middle class dream. Like it's it's a one bedroom with a, an enviable amount of closet space. Like, like it's really impressive how many clothes she's able to fit in there. And a kitchenette and like a big plasma screen TV. It's pretty much like where I would like to live one day when I get a job. But yeah, she basically comes into this woman's life and just starts playing around and really poking around into who this person was. And, you know, going back to the opening scene for a second, um, what's always plagued me about this episode is, does did Beth know that Sarah was going to be there? And if she did, why did she commit suicide right there? Why didn't she ask Sarah for help if she knew who Sarah was? And use and knew Sarah's particular skill set. Yeah. I feel like it would have been useful. Probably. Any question. Yeah. 
So anywho, she's she's back in uh, Beth's apartment. What we find out from what's on the fridge is that Beth has a boyfriend who's out of town in Cleveland. His name is Paul Dearden. Um, and Like, we leave her for a while and then go over to Felix's apartment, which is pretty much the opposite of Sarah's, or Beth's apartment mm -hmm. in, in the most awesome way. Like, Beth's place is really clean and neat, and Felix is just kind of this chaotic, messy artist's haven. Like, he lives in a loft above a bathhouse in the warehouse district. It's called the Rimbod. Yes. And... Sounds a bit like rim job, but it's not. <laughs> I never noticed that until you just pointed it out. Exactly. And, and he has the single coolest door jam lock thing in existence. It's but how does that work? Like, does he lock it from the outside when he leaves, or does he climb out the fire escape? I don't know, man. He's, he's Felix. He does what he wants. And what I also love about Felix is that he's a gay sex worker, and we don't shy away from that. Um, but they don't shame him for it. They don't say, oh, look at this seedy guy with his morally reprehensible career. It's just presented as a narrative fact. They move on. And, I mean, I've never seen that in any other show. And I like that Jordan Gavaris, the actor behind Felix... He's just so open with his acting, and I think he really brings the character alive. But then we have our first, I guess, wrinkle. Our first antagonist is introduced, and that is Victor, Sarah's ex. Um, Vic the Dick. Vic the Dick. <laughs> so before, like, while they were reuniting in the pub, Sarah also slips Felix some narcotics. And who who she tells him have been quote unquote liberated from Vic's possession. Basically she hit him over the head with an ashtray and took his drugs. And she's giving them to Felix to fence them so that she can get money to see Kira. Sarah's just a wonderful character. Yes. <laughs> very, very relatable. These are these are problems we all have. So stealing drugs from our ex boyfriends and giving them to our gay friends who I regularly hit people over the head with the ashtray. Yes. I have quite the reputation. You did yesterday. Um <laughs> you deserved it. But yeah, so Vic is not too happy about this obviously and he comes busting into Felix's place, demanding to know where his girlfriend is, like where Sarah is and what the hell she did with his drugs and Felix being the awesome ride or die that he is basically like plays him off and pretends that he doesn't know anything. I love Felix. Um, I'll say that more and more as the episodes go on because he has the best lines. Yes. Um, so then we go back to Sarah as Beth in Beth's apartment. Well, she's not Beth yet, but she's sorting through her mail and she finds a bank account that has $75,000 in it. Cha-ching. And immediately she's like, Felix, I need to take this money. Then we could leave town with, with you know, Kira. And uh, Mrs. S can do whatever she wants to herself. <laughs> yeah, we don't care about her yet. Oh, but you will. 
Um, but yeah, as they're discussing this plan for the money, um, she sees a news bulletin on the TV, on Beth's TV, about how an unidentified woman has just been found under a train. And she says, huh, unidentified. Felix. One, one is two. Felix, I have an idea. Let's um, pass off the unidentified woman, who we, the audience, know is bad. It's me, because she looks like me. And we'll kill two birds with one stone, basically. I'm going to take this dead lady's money, and I'm going to convince my ex-boyfriend, Vic, that uh, she's me, and I'm dead. And I'll just escape that way. And it's pretty terrible, because once again, she's not thinking about the consequences. She's just a right-here-and-now type person, and it doesn't bode well for anyone in no. the story at this point. He's just racking up the bad karma right now. Right. And I think around this time is when the pink phone starts ringing with texts from this uh, person looking to meet up with Sarah slash Beth. An unknown caller. Unknown caller. And she's like, F that, I don't need to hear from these people. So yeah, I'll she just, just ignore it. it. It'll take care of itself. Right. And so she goes to the bank and she defrauds the bank teller um, pretty well, actually. Yeah. We, we get to see what distinguishes Sarah as a protagonist, like her specific set of skills. Right. And, um, you know, we see how committed she is to uh, Fing people over. She's really damn good at it, basically. Like, she takes, she finds Beth's home video, and by watching the video, teaches herself um, Beth's accent. Like, Beth has Canadian accent, and Sarah is English. You were damn right. Yeah, so she's like mimicking Beth's speech. She raised her wardrobe and like, puts together this whole professional business outfit. And basically walks into this bank that she's never been to as this woman who she's never met. And fools everyone. And it is awesome. <laughs> it's, it's very well done. Um, and then as she's walking back to the apartment, we get this, this tension. There's this car parked across the street flashing her lights. And she's like, what that? You know, what, what is that? And then another car just immediately drives up to the curb and it's like, get in, Beth. And um, this is uh, Beth's friend, Art. Yeah, her, co her co-worker, Art. Um, I, I have in my notes here, things are going too well. <laughs> like, Sarah was about to get away with this dead woman's money, no problem. And the Beth Kira bait and switch plan. And so they introduce another wrinkle here. Um, another person from Beth's life just surprises Sarah, like, when she's off guard, and that's Art. So he, he, like, drives up in front of her house, and it's like, hey, we gotta go to the police station. And Sarah, at this point, doesn't know, like, what's going on, who this guy is, so she kind of just has to, like, go along with it. And she says this hilarious line, what's the charges? Where are the charges? And Art's like, stop fucking around, Beth. Um, and so then we get to the police station and she realizes that Beth is a cop 
So she would know what the charges are. She, she would know what the charges are, and Sarah's now fucked. Um, or so we think. Or so we think. Yeah. So like, she walks into the lion's den, basically. Like mm-hmm. as a small-time criminal, there and, aren't many worse places you could be in the police station. And it's pretty. It's pretty funny acting by Tatiana Maslany in the scene. It's just so yeah. well done. Yeah, she's her entire game plan is to like get away, and every time she tries to uh, something stopping her, like she tries to excuse herself to the bathroom, uh, and her boss is like, "Wait, where are you going? The bathroom's that way." <laughs> just and she just has to play off that she's never been here before. So eventually, she pulls pulls out a miracle. That's the only way I can describe it. A Hail Mary. Yes. Uh, we won't spoil it for you how she gets out of this situation. We're not spoiling the show at this point? No. Well, we can't spoil this. This was... Like, the first time I watched this, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this show has my attention. <laughs> when I watched it, I, I gagged. I was like, yeah. that's disgusting. <laughs> but also fascinating. Very fascinating. Um, it involves harmful substances. I'll say that much. Uh, <laughs> um, and then she uh, she's like, oh, fuck, Felix. Do not identify the body because it's a cop. Yeah. And people will care about a missing cop. Or a yeah. Cop. And, you know, the next scene is in the morgue with Felix and the morgue attendant, Colin. And... This has got to be one of my favorite scenes in the whole series because Felix obviously knows that Sarah's not dead, but he has to put on the face that she is dead. And, you know, he's also really fascinated that there's someone out there that looks exactly like her and she might have this story that he's not involved with. And, um, you know, he ends up flirting with Colin, you know. um, The odd duck. The odd duck. (laughs) And it's shot brilliantly. I love the story, the cinematography, the colors, the framing of the shot. Um, what else can we say about that scene? I, I just reiterate that Jordan Gervais pulled off some of his most brilliant acting in that scene because the moment that the mortgage attendant Colin pulls back the tarp, he reacts with like. <laughs> revulsion because it's a dead body but then he like transitions into this like really innocent curiosity where he's like oh god it's a dead body but it looks exactly like my friend like I can't I can't look away from this really weird circumstance and it's really well acted so right after that um, he comes back and he's still like single-mindedly trying to track down his ex-girlfriend and his drugs. And then we get, like, probably the most humorous aspect (laughs) of this episode. (laughs) And by humorous, I mean, like, black humor. Like, it was really dark. But Felix, who didn't get Sarah's message, starts going through with the plan to pass off this dead chick as Sarah. So... Vic comes barging into his place again, and Felix is all like, no, man, not today. 
He opens the door and slaps him. <laughs> just slaps him and is like all huffy. And of course, Vic is like, was this guy fucking me? What did what did Felix say though? It was very witty. He's like, "You bastard." I think it was just you bastard. He, like, you goes, killed her. Yeah, he goes and sits down, and Vic's like, "What are you talking about?" So Felix like spills the beans. Like, yeah, she threw herself. Sarah threw herself in front of the train because of you. Because you're mm. a jerk. <laughs> Vic's like, no, 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 no. You're you're lying. <laughs> she put you up to swear she. And then it immediately cuts to, <laughs> it immediately cuts to the morgue and Vic like sobbing over her body. And then Felix is like in the background, just like, yeah, did. He, he like gives this sly smile to Colin. Colin's just like, well, this is I, I think these two scenes are very telling of who Felix is. Like, he's one, as Amal said, run and gun. That we, or ride or die. Yes. Ride or die, which is a wonderful way of describing his character. I love how committed he is to Sarah. And um, he's not a bad person. He has his morals. He does. He's, he sort of serves as Sarah's conscience throughout this piece. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, you know he has this like troubled past, especially when he was in the bar, and uh, Bobby. You know he was in the bar, waiting to call the you know, psyching himself up to call the morgue, and the bartender Bobby whips him with a towel, and he's like, "Don't whip me! I've had a you know I've had a very traumatic a very childhood." Traumatic childhood. And it's just so well done. Yes, but back to the morgue. So, there's really black humor here. Because Vic is, like, genuinely mourning. Like, he thinks he's lost someone who, although they were difficult, was really important to him. And Felix is basically, like, pulling the wool over his eyes. And he's feeling, oh, yes, that's very sad. Yes, it's so sad. Yes, I'm tricking you. (laughs) Right. Um... And then we have a scene where in Beth's apartment with both Felix and Sarah, and Sarah reiterates that the only thing she wants to do is get money, get Kira, and leave town. And Felix is immediately put off by this. Um, you know, he's open to her shenanigans. They they grew up together. They protect one another. But she's being really reckless right here. And. Uh, He's not afraid to call her out. Not afraid to call her out and uh, fucks her shit up by uh, by organizing a funeral, quote unquote, which is a wonderful scene. I love this scene as well. Yeah. Basically, Vic is a wreck after Sarah's quote unquote death, and he comes back to Felix's apartment just looking like shit, just terrible. He's been in a fight. He's probably not sober and he's just like on the verge of tears the entire time and Felix's just like oh, what what do you want because he knows everything's fine so he's trying to move on with his life at this point and Vic basically like demands that they remember Sarah and hold some sort of funeral service which is also really funny because Vic is presented as this violent criminal uh, he's not afraid to hit people, hurt people, sell drugs. Yes, he's a very traditionally masculine role, 
up until he thinks that his significant other is dead, and then it just unravels. Like the facade falls away completely, and you see he's just this like not a great guy, but like a person who's capable of vulnerability and being hurt, which right. is cool. It is. Um, and then, you know, Sarah pulls up across the way from the funeral and calls him up and is like, you little shit, Felix. Yeah, but things are looking good. Like, before she observes her own funeral, she goes to the bank and empties out that account completely uh, after charming the banker with uh, her feminine right. wiles. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, she put pull a little hair tuck behind her ears like, is there any way you could get my money faster? It's like put on the little tiny voice. Right. And also he asks her if she wants to check out the safety deposit box as well. And of course Sarah's like, yeah, yeah, I want to go check that out. And in the safety deposit box, she finds three uh, birth certificates. One for Beth Childs, one for Katya Ovinger, and the third for Allison Hendricks. Who we haven't met yet? But Who are these people? They're all, they're all from different backgrounds, but they all were born in the same year as Sarah, and the same like within a month of her. Day. Yeah, it's like March 9th and April fourth, nineteen eighty four. So, yeah. but that's probably nothing, right? So <laughs> nothing. So they're not twins. Yeah. So she takes her money that she just uh, legitimately stole from this dead lady. And then goes to her own funeral. <laughs> a nice little little plot twist there. Like the episode begins with the death and ends with the funeral. Right, and it's funny because it's in a swamp, marshland type place. It's not a pretty place at all. It's just grungy and out of the way. Sort of representative of Sarah's life up until this point. Right, and uh, as uh, she's making fun of the funeral attendant attendance with uh, Felix, this uh, beat up old pickup truck pulls up and she's like, oh shit, Mrs. S is there. We don't know who Mrs. S is really at this point, but... That's not what matters, because guess who else is in the truck? It's cute Kira. little girl. Sorry, say that again. Kira. Kira. A cute little girl. And also, we discover Sarah's daughter. Yeah, uh, and this is our introduction to Skylar Wexler, who's the cutest little child actor I've ever seen. Yes. Side note, he's and an she's... adorable little button cake. <laughs> and she's very, very good at her job, considering what she has to deal with later on. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get into that, but suffice to say, right. she's adorably brilliant. Right, and um, you know, th this is the first moment where we see Sarah really vulnerable. Um, aside from the point where uh, Beth's boyfriend came home, yeah, Paul, and uh, she had to distract him with sex, and it was she stripped naked. Yeah, it, it was this whole crazy thing. I thought it was interesting that um, the vulnerabilities that she displays in this episode, but um, this is the first time we see her really break and see what her motivations really are. Is that despite being this sort of disorganized, irresponsible person, she really does love her daughter, Kira, and wants to have a life with Kira. 
Yeah, up until this point, her demeanor has sort of alternated between, like, calm, cool, incompetent, or, like, detached from the people around her. And this is the first time we see, oh, yeah, Sarah does care about something, and there are, like, stakes to this whole involved caper that she's trying to pull off the Beth Pure bait-and-switch plan. Right. And, uh, you know, she gets back into the car, which is, by the way, uh... Best Jaguar, which is very nice, very nice, and very much not what Sarah would be driving on an average day. But she gets back into the car, and uh, someone else jumps in the car with her. Someone from what this story is really about. What it's really about. Um, it's this woman named uh, Katya Obinger who has a uh, German accent and short, bob, blonde—not uh, blonde, but red hair. Yeah. And Sarah's face. So, this is the second person that she's met that has her face, and she's like, what the hell is going on? Like, seriously? Again? Who are you? And, um... And things really... Like, the ball really gets rolling here. Yeah, Katya uh, says this line, um, I am many, one of a few, no family, two, who am I? Is that it? I think so. (laughs) It's, it's it's clearly a code that she and Beth set up to identify one another, which calls into question, why would they need a code with one another? Yeah, what's going on here? And when Beth, or when Beth doesn't know the code, Ogre is immediately like, you're not Beth, who are you? And before Beth can answer, um, Olga gets shot in the face. <laughs> It's it's a uh, unexpected to say the least, and it happens instantaneously. So then she's like she she's like a bat out of hell, and she just gets the fuck out of there. And um, while getting shot at some more, while getting shot at some more, and this pink phone that Katya also has starts ringing, and she's like, "Oh fuck it," and picks up, and that's the end of the episode. Yes, this all happens in the space of. Maybe 90 seconds. Yeah, 90 seconds. And so... Really pedal to the metal. Pedal to the metal. And what's really lovely about this episode is how they set up the stakes and how well they did it. Um, It's this whole setup payoff structure that I really enjoyed in Orphan Black in general. Yes. So... uh, They keep introducing wrinkles at the perfect moment. Like, whenever it looks like Sarah has a good handle on what's going on and what she needs to do... There's another antagonist. There's another wrinkle. Like, first, Victor is trying to track down the drugs that she intends to sell. Then, when it looks like she's going to get away with the money, uh, Art shows up, and we discover that that's a cop. And when it finally looks like she has the money and she has Victor fooled, German lady shows up and gets shot in the face. Like, she just keeps getting dragged further and further into this beast, and every time she is faced with the choice to, like, back away or run, she goes further in. Like, she ends the episode by answering the phone, which is not what you want to do when you're trying to extract yourself from right. the situation. Right. So, there, there... I have no idea how I'd be able to do this as a filmmaker, but the way they have these three parallels of Sarah wants her daughter wants to leave town. 
Um, Beth commits suicide. Sarah sees an opening. But then, in a wider picture, someone's trying to kill her. It would, when you put it that way, it seems completely out of left field, but here it feels organic, I want to say. It does feel really organic, and I don't know what I'm trying to say. Uh, it unfolds naturally. It unfolds naturally, and it's, it's, for someone who is an orphan... And who's never grounded, and up until this moment, like, did whatever she wanted with her life. It, it's very, like, she's nailed down to the ground now. Like, there's no way she could walk away from this, and there's no way that she can remain anonymous anymore. She really has to deal with who she is and where she came from. Yeah, it's do or die. Because she doesn't... She doesn't know, and you know what, the, the inciting incident is that she wanted to, not the inciting incident of the whole episode, because the inciting incident is Beth committing suicide, but her motivation for coming back to this anonymous Canadian city that we really know is actually Toronto, which they want to cover up for some reason, but you see the license plates all over the place, and yeah. it's clearly Toronto, Canada. Kind of obvious, that. Really obvious. The, the reason why she came back was to get Kira, and to take responsibility for being her mother. And then she is strapped with all these responsibilities and she doesn't know how to extract herself and she it forces her to stick in Toronto and deal with it. And we're, the, the audience is just along for the ride with her. Like, um, when I am in my screenwriting class, <laughs> I... Professors often say there's three ways that you can unfold the narrative. You can either put the audience ahead of the main character and have it so that they know what's going on, or you can put the character ahead of the audience so that, like, say, Sherlock Holmes knows how the mystery like is solved, but we don't. Uh, or you can do what they do here and just have the audience and the character finding stuff out at the same time. Right. Uh, and, again, I, I don't have anything bad to say about this episode aside from I really hate Sarah Manning. <laughs> yeah. You're but, stuck with this chick? What's her deal? But I, I really, by the end of the episode, I felt for her. Like, she was a human to me. and She I made her mistakes, but... She also had her reasons. Right, and I think Tatiana Maslany did this brilliantly. Um, she's the one who plays Sarah, Beth, and Katya at this point. At this point. At this point. I may have spoiled something for you. Probably <laughs> not. If you're listening to this, you're probably an orphan black fan anyway. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to go over your top moments of the episode? Favorite quotes? Favorite characters? I think we already did this. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll reiterate. Hands down, my favorite uh, thread in this episode was the Felix and Vic story. Just seeing, like, because before he, like, first informs Vic that Sarah is kind of dead, Felix just has this moment where he, like, composes himself and, like, gets into his actress persona. <laughs> and it was hilarious. <laughs> Yes. Um, 
I also love the moment where he's hesitating in calling the board because it shows us also the limits of his ability to help Sarah. Yeah. And it humanizes these drifting drug dealers that Right. Like they also like they do bad stuff, but they do like feel bad about it. Right, but they also recognize that it's something that they had to do to survive, at least on Felix's end. Uh, yeah. Again, I don't like what Sarah did this episode, but I love the overall story, so... Yeah, they didn't paint it as black and white, which would be the easiest thing to do in this situation. Right. So... Kudos for not doing that. Yeah, go or from black. Uh, this episode was written and directed by... Grant Manson. And John Fawcett. Who are the co-creators of uh, the series. They're a couple of Canadian guys. And this is the first TV series that they've helmed. And um, what's going to become more clear in the coming episodes is that it is a sci-fi story. And it has to do a lot with philosophy and identity and mortality. And to help them uh, explore all these uh, subjects are uh, their friend, Kasima Herder who is studying for a PhD in... Generally being awesome. Yeah, generally being awesome. Uh, Kasima Herder is an amazing person. You should follow her on Twitter and go look up her Long Reads article where she discusses her motivations and her career path and, you know, writing Orphan Black and being part of it. And, and a fun fact about this is that she... I believe she was friends with Graham Manson. Mm-hmm. If I'm wrong, I will correct myself later. And they they were talking about creating Orphan Black for a number of years. And one night they were talking with Kasima. You know, Kasima and Graham were talking with one another at someone's house on a porch late at night with probably some uh, alcohol involved. Yeah. And uh, Kasima was like, "You realize this is a this is a feminist bomb, right?" And uh, Graham was like, "What are you talking about?" I'm a dude. I don't understand that. <laughs> what he's basically talking, what she's talking about, what Kasima was saying to Graham is that you can't set up a you know show like this with a woman who has these multiples walking around on Earth and not explore feminist issues. And if you do it wrong, people are going to be really upset with you. So you have to do it right. You have to know the science. You have to have an actress to embody all these people. You have to um, do justice to what these topics mean to women in Western societies. You know, this, it takes place in Canada, but you know, Canada and the U.S. often coincide in Western oh, wow. philosophies. Yeah, I mean, we're catching up to Canada lately, which is great. Um, a, a, <laughs> but. I, I, I think that's what this show does really correct is really honor what they're doing and they're very intentional about it and uh, the names that they give people and you know where they go in this story it's cool it's very cool um, and I can't wait to watch the next episode and find out who's on the other line on that phone who could it be who is it find out next week on the little lowdown Thank you for joining in. Um, um, look for us on iTunes, Tumblr, and Twitter at the Lead a Lowdown on 
Every one of them. Yeah. It's just the Lita lowdown. Yes. Just Google us. It'll, Google it'll us. Be in the, it'll be in the search result. Hopefully. And, yeah. <laughs> hit us up if you have any questions or I'm, thoughts. And I'm DT. And I am Amal. And this has been the Lita lowdown. See you next week. Bye. So we're we're looking on IMDb and there are um keywords. <laughs> keywords for this episode. Amal. Yes. So the keywords for natural selection are nudity, <laughs> run over by a train, actress breaking typecast, female rear nudity, there there's a girl butt in this. <laughs> uh, male nudity, spontaneous sex, dead woman in morgue, clone. Woman on top. Woman initiating sex. <laughs> which I'm sad has to have its own <laughs> its own keyword. <laughs> that should just be a thing. I, I don't know why we have to keyword that. Um male rear nudity. There's boy butts in this too. Um female nudity. Vomit. And woman shot in the forehead. <laughs> so you have you either have like necrophilia. Or what else? Well, the, the woman wasn't on top of a corpse. Like, <laughs> there, there's no fucking dead people in this show. <laughs> there are people who are fucking dead, but they aren't being fucked. It's are there, different. Are there any old people fucking? Stop. <laughs> um, when we do an about me section on this podcast, <laughs> you will learn about my aversion to something called OPF. But we're not going to talk about that right now. We're talking about Orphan Black. Okay.